Hey, everybody. My name is Rob Shear, and I'm the founder of a national nonprofit called Comfort Cases. I'm also an advocate for children in our foster care system, a public speaker, an author of a book, A Forever Family. But most importantly, I am the father of four amazing children. Hi, I'm Dana McKay, and I saw Rob on The Ellen Show, and when I realized his organization was based right here where I live, I knew I had to get involved. I'm also a social media consultant, a radio host, a podcast producer, and a mother of two children. See, our country's foster care system is shattered, and this podcast is about how we as a community can come together to bring about change, changing the system, and changing the lives of children in care. Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast. Today we are talking to Carrie Richmond. She is an advocate for children in foster care. And Carrie, tell us about yourself. Tell me how you and Rob know each other. Oh, man. I'm trying to think back. When was the first time that I met Rob? Um, I think we just, you know what? It was with um, Angels of Adoption. Rob had been recognized with his husband, Reese, um, through the Congressional Coalition on Adoption Institute program where they honor adoptive families, advocates, and we met through that because I work closely with that organization. So I think it's been, gosh, like three years now, Rob. Oh my gosh, at least, at least three years. And I have to tell you, I was a stalker um, for Carrie. So for those of you who are listening and you really want to hear one of the most moving, moving talks is go to TED Talk and look up Carrie. Um, And she, you did the most amazing talk. And as a matter of fact, when I did my TED Talk, um, I really channeled you during that because that was, like I said, it was so moving for me. Um, so I knew who you were. You were a local celebrity as far as I'm concerned. And so I was so excited when I got to meet you um, through, you know, and again, to not to bring up a, a sad time, but it, there was an executive director at Angels of Adoption, um, Becky, um, who, by the way, um, Carrie, I can't wait for you to come to our center because I actually, hanging in our hallway, um, I have my certificate that was one of the last certificates Becky signed um, before she passed away. And so I always walk by it, and it does give me a little bit of a chill. But she introduced me to Carrie, and we just hit it off immediately. And so I knew that there was a time where Carrie would needed to be on this podcast. So Carrie, if you don't mind, could you let let people know a little bit about um your 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 TED talk and exactly how that happened? Yeah, so um, I did a my TEDx talk when I was in college and um basically what had happened I guess getting up to that point is was really a journey of coming from this point of I grew up in foster care and feeling some shame around that and and keeping it hidden for a long time. And it wasn't until I got into college and started advocating in this space, um, just trying to fundraise for kids in foster care, that I realized how much more impactful fundraising became when I just was open and honest and authentic with people that I was in foster care. And that's why it really mattered to me that they donate. Um, And so the more that I grew in the advocacy space in college, the more passionate I became about just being open about the fact that I was in foster care. And so when the TEDx talk came to my school, um, I felt like it was the perfect opportunity to educate folks and raise awareness about the issue and the struggles that in foster care are still experiencing. Rob, I know you 
can relate to that feeling of carrying a trash bag. Um, and, and that was years ago. And to think that kids are still going through that is gut-wrenching. And so I, I really felt like this is my time to use the microphone to let people know that we have a duty to help these kids and do something. So, Carrie, we're, you know, first of all, you went to college. Um, you are definitely the, as I say, um, you're the that 3%. Um, tell me a little bit about what was that inside of you that give, gave you that drive to, to go on to college? I mean, it was always a dream of mine and something that I wanted to pursue. But, I mean, up until my second semester of senior year in high school, I really had no idea if it was going to transpire into a reality. And it was, while it was this deep desire, I sort of had pushed it down of trying to be realistic. Like, this isn't just, this just isn't going to happen for you. Um, and it wasn't until my best friend's parents stepped in, Claude and Lisa, and, and um, I remember this conversation, and, and Claude was stern with me. He was, he was really firm in saying that, no, like, you are going to college. You have way, much, way too much potential to not go. And if you truly want to get out of the, the, the cycles that um, continues in your family, like, this is the way out. And he was 100% right. Like, education was the key um, that unlocked a different, a different narrative for me in so many ways, personally, how, professionally. How did you get the support? How did you get the support? You know, so many times um, I, I talk about this quite often um, throughout the country is that I always feel that there's two things that we need to do in our system to make sure that children, you know, actually um, are doing better than the kids who used to, you know, when I was in the system, one, financially set them up for success and two, open up the education pathways. How were you mm -hmm. financially able to do and go through school? Um and who was there to guide you? You know, I have a, a we have a new son. Um, he's a senior in high school. And I said to my husband just the other night, I said, if this kid was not with us, who would have helped him with all of these grants and filling out all of this scholarship? And I mean, it is overwhelming. So who helped you? Yeah. Who helped you do this? Yeah. So. My story is quite unique in the sense that I was adopted when I was a little girl and I was adopted into um, an abusive family. And so I sort of, in, in high school, moved out of that home um, and moved in with my best friend's family. And thankfully, they, they helped me navigate that process um, and helped me figure out how do I fill out financial aid. And, and because I was adopted, I didn't qualify for the scholarship that others in foster care will qualify for. Um, and so I truly, I had to lean on my best parents and they stepped up and said, you know what, we want we want to see you go to college. We'll co-sign on this loan um, in your name and, and we'll support you in this so that you can go and, and rewrite the story. Um, and so if it weren't for them, and, and it was really funny because I had known my best friend at the time for like seven years and I never knew her grandma was a retired social worker. And so her grandma was helping me navigate that process. Like truly the Donati family just rallied behind me and, and pushed me all the way onto my college campus. And so I think you had the nail on the head of like, we have to provide support, both financial and opening the educational pathways. And, 
And if you think about, like, it's intimidating trying to figure out how do I fill out this financial aid form? How do I find scholarships? How do I... And you already have a buttload of other paperwork that you're trying to figure out. And you're 17, 18 years old. It's a lot. And so I think that's where we see a lot of kids just... It's it's too much for them to handle on their own. So I'm with you. I think another piece of that is providing mentorship to them um, and, and showing them... Here's someone who did it and who can walk you through all the steps, um, that sort of thing, I think is critical. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you on that. I think, you know, Dana, you and I have had other people on our podcast about the whole mentoring thing. That right. Just, I, I was actually on a call yesterday and um, that was one of the things that this corporation is trying to push is how, how can we not only mentor, by the way, the child, but mentor the family as well. Mm. You know, I, I see you a lot on Capitol Hill. I, I see that mm-hmm. you truly are a change maker when it comes to making sure that we're educating our politicians on really what's going on. But but one of the questions I have for you is that I, I have always felt that if a child comes into the foster care system and, you know, they – I truly believe unif- reunification should be the first thing. But if that doesn't happen and that child is adopted, whether that child is adopted at 2, 4, 5, 8, 9, um, mm-hmm. I believe that there needs to be an incentive for families to adopt these children um, and their college should also be paid for. So, you know, do we – do you see anything coming down the, the pike? that that is going to start addressing that because I feel like a lot of times what we see is we see parents who really want to adopt but financially they can't afford the college you know the sibling groups for instance right they- or, or what, what yeah and once they if you're a foster parent you get help but once you take that step to adopt the child all that help stops and then you're on your own as opposed to continuing to support people who make that commitment to the child right right and there have been policy changes that have made that more flexible and opening it up, opening supports up to adoptive families. And that now, if you're adopted after the age of 13, then your college will be paid for. Um, and so we have seen more shifting towards that type of model. But at the same time, you still have a lot of folks on Capitol Hill who don't want to spend the money to provide the necessary supports. I'm, I mean, I'm thinking about like we're in the middle of this pandemic right now and it's, it's pulling teeth and nails to try and get people out on Capitol Hill to fund support for the nearly half a million kids that are in foster care and are, are now navigating this pandemic. Um, so I think it's, it's a matter of getting the stories out there and getting people to contact their representatives and pushing and advocating exactly what you and Rob, you and Reese did when you came for Angels on Adoption, going in and, and telling the stories and telling the problems and challenges that you have as a foster parent or an adoptive parent or um, and what I'm really passionate about is making sure that people who have experienced foster care are in those offices and are talking to those members about what they've gone through and how can we how can we improve the system and reform the system to make it easier for the kids that are coming behind us. Right. And that's one of the things that when we've had Maureen Flatley on the podcast, one of the things she said is that when it comes to the big push on Capitol Hill to make change for kids, that this is where the foster alumni come in, where people who are who've been through the system, who are now adults and have the ability to speak up, should be speaking up in order to push for change, not just to get the laws changed, but also to put pressure on the states or whoever to implement 
the changes? Yes, that's critical, Dana. I think like that is the piece of the story where there's still a lot of room for growth because of the stigma that's been around foster care and saying you're in foster care and there's this like negative weight that comes with it that people don't want to talk about it. And so I think it's a matter of figuring out how do we pass the mic and help these these kids and young adults tell their stories um, in a way that highlights the problems, but that is not, not, you know, forcing them to share these really vulnerable, sensitive parts, um, but ways that they can really show uh, the challenges that they've experienced so that we, we can figure out what are the solutions moving forward. But it's hard. Like, there is such a negative stereotype around it, which it sucks. It needs to be more of a normalized conversation. Yeah, I, I I have to agree with you. Let me tell you, one of the things that has always surprised me is that when when Reese and I were chosen to be angels of adoption, it opened up a pathway for us to be able to go on Capitol Hill, speak to um, some politicians. But the sad part is, is I haven't heard from anybody since then. Um, I have not had any, um, there was no bridge that was built that I was hoping was going to be built. I, I was hoping that these politicians would be like, oh, you know what? This guy's opening up his story. We need to make sure that other people are hearing this because the one thing that I hear all the time, and Dana, you and I get emails and and private messages from kids who are aging out of the system, and the one thing they say to me is thank you. And they say thank you for telling your story because now I feel I can tell mine. And, you know, for so long it was a a stigma of don't say that I was in foster care because if you say I'm in foster care, then you automatically think I shouldn't achieve. Right, and I I always think of the story that our friend Kimberly Raff from Foster Alumni Mentors told us when we had her on the podcast. She said a coworker of hers – um, said to her, well, you were in foster care. You don't, you don't seem like you were in foster care. Oh my and gosh. She said, I had a dollar. Yeah. Well, what, what am I supposed to look like? Yeah. You know? So yeah, that her saying that really stuck with me and I didn't grow up in foster care, but just learning about it and realizing that there's such a stigma. And I've actually brought this up before too, where I feel like when kids who are in foster care are portrayed on TV, like in the show, this is us, they show her that yeah. she's the kid that's smoking. And I mean, she, I yes. feel like there's some 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 stuff that that comes into play there where they definitely put the negative stereotype on on kids. Yeah, Dana, that's actually one of my number one pet peeves of Hollywood's portrayal of kids in foster care or kids who have experienced trauma. They always end up being the villain, and and most re- the most recent example that comes to mind is in the Joker. You see that he has this sort of tumultuous childhood, and he was adopted and. And then he goes on to be this murderer, villain. And I think so often Hollywood focuses on the story of like, there isn't life after trauma and there isn't, there isn't healing. And, and that's so not true because I think I look at the alumni that I know and I'm, and I see the most resilient people who have so much strength in them and can go on to change the world and do all of these amazing things because they've learned how to navigate very tumultuous times and still come out on the other side like with a torch in their hand ready to you know fight on so yeah i agree i agree i believe that's why we have to 
and, and at least in our media, we have got to tell better stories. We have to, you know, I, I hear people say to me all the time and, and I get shocked when I hear them say, well, those are bad kids. And I'm like, excuse me. I was like, first of all, there's no such thing as a bad kid. It's a kid that needs to be redirected and we must come to grips with understanding that these kids are in a system because of choices other people made other people made they're not in the system because of what they did they're in the system because of what other people have done um and it's just and i and i feel it so often is that you know I, I I love the fact that we have amazing foster parents, but we also know we have a lot of foster parents who I wouldn't even leave my dog with. Um, yeah. we, you, you know, I say this quite often. This is an industry that makes money on the backs of children. And and we have got to do something to stop that. And and I think that if we tell more stories of these amazing, amazing humans who are resilient and how they make it through to the other side, we would start seeing some statistics change, especially within our prison cycle. I mean, I was yeah. in Texas um, about a year ago giving a speech, and I was absolutely sick to my stomach when, when a politician um, said to me after giving the speech, well, you, you you do know that we we build prisons based on the number of kids that come into our state and foster care and i i was just mm-hmm. like so in other words you're automatically branding them that they're going to be in foster care automatically and what if and they prison. and what if they spent that money instead of building a prison uh, what if they spent that money on making sure that these kids have what they need, making sure they go to a good home, making sure they get an education, making sure they have the mental health resources that they need to deal with the trauma they've been through? I mean, there's so many resources that could be used in different ways to benefit the kids instead of just planning for them to fail. Yeah, you're exactly right, Dana. The front end supports of, I think, particularly the mental health supports of and, and what you said, Rob, there is no bad kid. It's just kids who have experienced trauma and they don't know how to express their feelings and they don't have the outlets yet for that, right? They don't have the tools for that. And so it's a matter of viewing them from a lens of, wow, there's a lot of trauma here. How do we approach this carefully so that we can help them heal and go on to be really strong adults to, to navigate um, everything that life will go continue to throw at them, but, you know, be in a good place. No, I agree. I agree with you 100% on that. And I think that, you know, when I talk about, you know, supporting a child who is come, I've said this to many social workers who have either been on our podcast or I've met and I've said, you know, the very first thing that should happen is when a child comes into the system, they should be given a team, a team. And that team consists of their birth parents, foster parents, mentor, guardian Mm -hmm. of litem social worker, and really make that kid realize that, you know what, we're all here for you. We're all here to support you. And I believe that if we did that, I mean, just building that that child's self-esteem to know that, you know what, this is a period of time. Now, again, I say this quite often, you know, if a child is being abused, it's over, it's done. Okay, there, there's, yeah. you know, yeah. but we all know that the majority of kids who come in the system come in because of the definition of neglect. 
And right. so, you know, we failed the parents in the very beginning um, yeah. because we weren't there to support them to make sure the neglect didn't happen. And by the way, I'm not talking about neglect where, you know, Susie's down on the street corner smoking weed and her three-month-old baby's at home and nobody's there. I'm talking that yeah. there, there are so many parents who want to be a parent, but one, they weren't taught how to be parents. Two, we right. do not pay a living wage. So, you know, they're, yeah. they they don't know what to do. We do not address mental illness whatsoever. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think about the women who go through, you know, de- this depression after having a child, you know, there's no yeah. support of that. There's no, we set these people up to fail. Um, and I think yeah. that if we built the team, then we would build that. And, and then the other thing I, I I would love to know your opinion on this. So I found out in the last, you know, 36 episodes now that we've done, I am shocked, <laughs> absolutely shocked that um, when a child comes into the system. So first of all, when my, my five children came to us, I, I was horrified, um, and it's still happening, that everybody was on a different island. And when my first four kids came into the system, you know, and came to us, I just was like, okay, this is just the way it is. Well, then when our new son just arrived last year, I, I, I said to the social worker, I said, I cannot believe that you guys, this has been 11 years since our first children arrived and you still are all on a different island. You know, nobody's talking mm-hmm. to each other. You know, it's mm-hmm. the birth parents are bad and the foster parents are bad. And then what shocks me is that this these children are reunified with their parents, which I, I, I agree with on that part, but they're supposed to cut contact immediately with their foster parents. They're not the mm-hmm. guardian of Lightums, the Casa workers. They're not allowed mm-hmm. to have any contact with these kids. That's damage right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, two pieces there. I want to go back to what you said on, on the lack of support for families that then lead to kids entering the system. One of the things that in, in the advocacy space of, of the policy world, um, Recently, the Family First Prevention Services Act passed and began the implementation phase. And what that legislation does, that creates um, the space for there to be funding and resources provided to families for prevention. And that can look like mental health support. That can look like rehabilitation support. And so I think that is a huge piece where we have for years failed families. And that we get, we automatically write off the parents as lost causes and take the child and place them in the foster care system. And we know research shows that that children are better off when they are able to remain with their biological parents and their biological family units. So I think that's going to be a huge shift in how we see that changing the foster care system. That now we're able to focus on giving families the support they need so that kids can stay with their families when it's safe for them to do so, not when it's an abusive situation. Um, so I, I think that I am excited about that piece of it, and I think that's, that's been a, something that we've needed to do for a long time and we failed to do as a country. Um, on the second piece, you said about the being on islands and these kids being, what I'm hearing is like, it is like the cutting off is we're just sending message to them that, it disincentivizes healthy attachments and healthy relationships and their futures because 
you're not allowing them to understand that like you can still have these bonds and they look different. Um, and, and how damaging that is to have all of these just flat walls placed in front of you and barriers again and again and again, if it makes you think like, of course they're going to not be able to establish some of those healthy connections in the future. Right. Well, and I also think from the standpoint of becoming a foster parent, the fact that foster parents, you know, they get to know this child, they love this child, and then they have to cut all ties and let them go, that that sense of loss or that fear of that loss prevents people from wanting to get involved. I mean, that's the number one thing people always say is, I'd get too attached, I couldn't let them go. And if they were able to continue to be a part of this child's life, continue to be a source of support, continue to be that person, if they go back to their parents and something goes wrong and, you know, mommy's using again or whatever is happening they have that former foster parent they can reach out to I mean that that would be healthy for the child to have I mean I could be wrong on that but I think them being able to create those bonds and those connections with people and then go back to their family and if they still need those other people they created a bond with that they're there for them no I agree and I agree a hundred percent on that and you know just a couple of weeks ago, we were we had a CASA worker on, and she had a relationship for over three years with a young girl. Yep. And after three years, the girl finally was reunited with her mother. But the problem mm-hmm. was is that CASA's policy is she's not allowed to have any contact with that girl whatsoever. So here is this CASA worker who almost on a weekly basis has been spending time with this girl for three years. Three years. Gone to birthdays and you know celebrations and holidays and the girl was a teenager too so think about how rough it is for a teenage girl just in life in general let alone being in foster care and creating this bond Mm -hmm. with a woman who supported you through all this an adult a mentor and then gone 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 and and so Mm -hmm. one of the things that i've i've said from the very beginning is that we have to realize that number one birth parents are not bad people Okay. And we, and foster parents aren't bad people. And what we need to do is come together at the table with both parents, foster parents and Mm -hmm. birth parents and say, okay, how are we going to get your child back to you as quickly as possible? What can we do to foster you? I think it's no longer needs to be the fact of we fostering a child, but it's how do we foster the family? How do we bring okay. stability back to the family? How do we make sure that mom and dad are, 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 are being able to find a job? How do we make sure that they're going to their appointments? How are we, you know, it's, it should be the whole thing that why our forefathers built community was to take care of each other. And, you know, instead we're ripping these kids and sticking them in strangers homes and by the way they are strangers homes when Mm -hmm. as you said it you know the statistics show the data is showing children are better off being left in their home with their biological Mm -hmm. family unless there's abuse yeah 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 you hit the nail on the head yeah yeah, it, it's been crazy. It's been crazy. Well, listen, I, I definitely have a couple questions for you. My my last couple questions is, number one, what can we do? What can we do? You, the, the, the listeners that we have throughout our country um, who are wanting to do something, they, they can't foster or they can't adopt, but they want to do something, what can they do? I, I think if you can't foster and you can't adopt, you can volunteer. You can always give your time. There are great organizations across the country who are small but mighty and they're doing important work and they need extra hands. I think if you 
feel like you can't spare time, then give money. <laughs> if you can't give money, then start conversations about foster care and about educate yourself about the needs and the challenges that these kids are going through and these families are in crisis that are experiencing and have more conversations about it. I think that we really have to make this a more normal part and piece of the conversation to keep spreading awareness and educating, 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 and changing the narrative and the stigma, the negative stigma that is around foster care. Um, all of those things are, are huge. And then, obviously, as an advocate in Washington, D.C., I'm going to say advocate. And so what does that look like? That looks like calling your member of Congress, writing your member of Congress, telling them about your stories, your struggles, your challenges, all of those sorts of things, especially if you're a foster parent or a former foster youth, sharing your story is a critical piece of pushing for solutions and making sure that this becomes an urgent um, an urgent piece that, that members want to, or that are, they're seeing and they're realizing that we can't leave this unnoticed um, anymore, that we have to do something. So I think those are all important pieces um, where people can get involved and do something. I love it. I absolutely love it. And then on a personal note, do you have any relationship with your biological family? Yeah, so that is an interesting question I haven't actually gotten before. Uh, so I I had scattered relationships with my bio family until I was 13 and then cut off relationships pretty cold turkey. Um, and when I was in college, my biological mom and sisters reached out to me. And it had been 15 years at that point since we had talked. And so because there was such a gap, in that communication, it truly felt to me that they were strangers. And it was really hard for me to then rebuild that connection. And and I think that also brings up another interesting phenomenon that we live in with social media and the access that people have to reach out to their biological family members. And, and that's a conversation for another day about whether we think that's appropriate or not. And how do you put up boundaries around that? So I... I don't know that I will ever have um, a really close relationship with my biological family. I think my view of family is that it's the people who you are doing life with day to day. And so um, that doesn't always have to be blood. And, you know, blood is, and DNA is not always the things that, that build the strongest connections. Um, so thanks for that question. I have, I've never gotten that question before. Wow. That, that tells me again why you and I are such good friends because we both look at it the same way. Well, listen, I will tell you, I, Carrie, you are, you inspire me. I am so lucky I get to call you my friend. I can't wait to see all the things that we're going to continue to keep doing together and bringing awareness to so many people about our, our foster care system. And, and as we end this podcast, you know, we always ask, um, the same question question to every single one of our guests and and one of these days Dana and I are going to write a book with all the answers because we yep. get we get a different answer <laughs> yep. from everyone so Dana let's take it away so Carrie if you could change two things about the foster care system what would they be Oof! what a loaded question <laughs> yep <laughs> I think one if I could change the first thing I would change about the foster care system is 
the negative stigma and the shame and the the piece of keeping it hidden that kids feel that the blame that comes along with it. My heart just goes out to every every kid who's in foster care or has experienced foster care and feels like that's a piece that they cannot share and that's a piece of their story and um, their life that is not welcome on the table for conversation and and that just breaks my heart because that is. And it's, a, it's not the thing that defines us, but it's a defining piece of our stories and who we are today. And, and I'm at a point in my life where I look back and I know I want to be who I am today if it weren't for experiencing foster care. And, and it brought me and it taught me a lot of things that some of my peers don't have because they had different upbringings. And so I just wish that we could get to a point in the foster care system where we are just empowering um, kids who are currently in foster care who have experienced it, that your story is okay to share and that if you want to share it, it's welcome and that there's nothing to be ashamed of. It's not your fault um, and that it will make you stronger in the end and, that, and just how resilient and, and loved these kids are. I wish that could be the message. Um, and the second thing I think is really the piece of trauma and having everyone who's in the child welfare community, who's working in the foster care system, approach every piece of their work from a trauma-informed place where it goes back to what we talked about earlier in the conversation where there is no bad kid. These kids have been through a lot. They've experienced a lot of trauma in a little bit of time, and and most of them have PTSD. There's more kids in foster care who have PTSD than there are veterans. Um, and, and that I think is a piece that many people don't realize and that if we all looked at it from that approach, how much more patient we would be with these kids and families, how much more loving we would be with these kids and families and how much more motivated we would be to help and understand them. Um, I think those are two pieces that I personally would want to change both foster care. Wow. Love it. Those are perfect answers. Yep. And and again, two answers that we have not heard. Right. And two answers we've not heard. Well, listen, Carrie, I cannot thank you enough. Um, Dana and I thank you for being on Fostering Change. You know, for all of our listeners, um, this is what it's all about. It's we're educating our community um, and we're excited that you were able to be a part of this. And, and again, as I say to all of our guests, Dana and I have said this many times, this won't be the last time that we would love to have you on the show. We'd love to have you back again to keep continuing to update us. Um, And again, realize that we all are good humans and good humans um, do good things. And my friend, you are a good human. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Fostering Change. Dana, where can they all... So they can listen. Um, people can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Deezer. There may be others. <laughs> um, and also, I'm going to we're going to put um, we're going to put Carrie's TEDx talk on our website at comfortcases.org/podcast, and then you can just find the episode, click on that, and we will post um, Carrie's information and where you can find her, and also the TEDx talk right there. Thank you, Carrie. Have an amazing day, and we'll talk again soon, my friend. Thank you both so much. Have a good one. Thank you. Dana and I would like to thank all of you for listening to the Fostering Change podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Make sure you follow Comfort Cases on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Comfort Cases. 
And check out the Fostering Change blog at comfortcases.org. So everybody, we want to hear your stories. So reach out to us if you would like to be a guest on the podcast. You can find me on Facebook at Rob Shear, Instagram at Rob underscore Shear, and on Twitter at Rob Shear 6. And please share this podcast and leave us a review. Remember, we're all part of the same community. Your zip code, it's not your community, but it's our human race. Let's all make a difference.